0: Good morning! Wow, wasn't that great this morning? I think we should just give a round of applause just for the worship team, don't you? It's great to praise the Lord in, in applause and all kinds of things, but um, that's great. Well done, Chris and the team. Just marvellous. Um, and uh, those of you on the tech team, I forgot to uh, set up the iPad this morning, so uh, I'm going to get them to talk to one another in a minute, and when they're talking to one another, we can set up this thing up. Is that all right? And you've got the videos ready to roll later. Okay, well, we've done all of the necessary stage management. Let's have a look at the scriptures. Because um, Aaron today has, um, as always, done a marvellous job in not only teaching us uh, in a way that means that every age is able to engage with the Word of God, but in a way that introduces the text to us in just the most pleasant fashion. Let's look, at, um, let's look at what the Lord wants to say to us this morning here in Acts chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. But some of them However, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So, this is a momentous occasion. This is one of the milestones of Christian mission. We've looked at quite a lot of them as we've been going along in our journey through the Gospel of Luke and the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Here we have a moment when. We are given our name. We're called little Christs. Christian is a word that would be given in reference to someone who belonged to someone else. And so the people who were called Christians were people who belonged to Jesus. But of course, the way in which people understood belonging to another meant that you were connected by family. You were connected by DNA. You were connected by a sense of deep belonging and identity. And so these were little Christs. But of course, it would have been offensive to the ears of the Jewish people because Christ meant king. But interestingly, the very first name given to Christians is to be a little king. Isn't that interesting? And we talked about that before. We've suggested that, of course, Jesus has extended his authority, his power, his identity. And that means that you and I represent him in his full authority, which means that in very many ways, we are to understand ourselves as Jesus. Little kings, but like Jesus... We do not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who though in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. And so we do that. So here, in this moment... People are given the name of Jesus. People are identified with Jesus. Jesus becomes the marker, the the, the metaphor, the, the image of what it is to be a follower. Now, all of this, of course, suggests that people are learning that the very heart of discipleship is imitation. The very heart of discipleship is this understanding of imitation. Now I've been thinking about imitation a lot um, over the years and um, as part of my academic work I've looked into a whole variety of interesting ways of understanding imitation. Imitation is undoubtedly the most important and perhaps universal skill that everybody in this room has. Everybody is an expert in imitation. But though we're an expert in imitation, almost no one, hardly anyone, understands the mechanism by which we imitate another person. And because we don't understand it, it's very difficult for us to intentionally replicate the process of imitation. It's very hard to do something intentionally that you have only ever done intuitively. But for us to be disciple makers means that we have to understand imitation, it's not an option. It's not something that we could perhaps leave on one side because to be a little Christ means that we imitate his life. But of course, as Paul tells us and is indicated throughout Scripture, the way that we imitate God is that we imitate what we see of God in another person. And so we learn. We learn how to draw things from our intuitive self into our intentional world. But how are we going to do that? How are we going to learn how to understand the process by which we grow and the process by which we help other people to grow? Now, one of the great obstacles of this, um, uh, to this process, is that in the modern world, we have kind of been sold a lie. It's not a big lie. It's just a deception. And the thing about deception is that if it wasn't close to the truth, no one would be fooled. If deception wasn't close to the truth, no one would be fooled. Just say that to the person next to you. If deception wasn't close to the truth, no one would be fooled, just say that. And here's the deception. Here's the deception. Growing as a Christian is all about information. Growing as a Christian is about the acquisition, about the memorization, about the garnering and gathering of information. That's the deception. Because if information is the focus of all of your energy you will completely miss the process of imitation, which is the foundation of personal transformation. You can't be changed by information. You can only be changed by a person, and the person is called Jesus. And the only way that you can engage that process is through an understanding and engagement of imitation you must want to be like him before you can be like him and he'll put the desire in your heart to be like him of course but to imitate him is more than simply to know about him of course it is to imitate him is to is to be far far more involved in a person's life than simply to understand information about them. So here's, here's an interesting little passage for you. I'll, um, I'll share it with you. This is, uh, this is something that was written by a man called Ian McGilchrist. I'll tell you a little bit about him. He's an Englishman, that doesn't necessarily qualify him for anything, Um, but but he is a remarkable Englishman, and um, the thing that's interesting about him is that he he really does understand the process of imitation because he really does understand the brain, the human brain. Ian McGillchrist was the most remarkable scholar at Oxford in the year that he was there. He was studying English. He got the highest first class degree at Oxford of anybody. And when he was welcomed back into his halls of residence, uh, he was welcomed with applause and a standing ovation. And people kind of congratulated him and said, okay, well obviously you're gonna become a professor of English. Which university are you gonna go for? And he said, I feel called to become a doctor. And they said, what? You're the greatest mind of this whole year. What are you talking about? He said, no, no, I feel called to be a doctor. So off he went. He trained to be a doctor. And then he trained to be a psychiatrist. And then he trained to be a neuroimaging psychiatrist. And became the world's preeminent neuroscientist functioning in the world of imaging technology. And then he wrote a book on the brain. And when he wrote a book on the brain, it was so amazing that lines and lines of professors all around the world queued up to give their affirmation and appreciation of this amazing book. A book that is so dense that it takes you three times the normal length of time to read a page. It's one of those kinds of books. But it's a book that is so thoroughly imbued with erudition that that you feel that you just have to pour over it page after page. And one of the things that he says right there in this amazing book is this. Imitation is non-instrumental. Oh, it's just jumped off on me. Hang on a minute. Is non-instrumental. It is intrinsically pleasurable. Imitation is intrinsically pleasurable. And babies and small children indulge in it just for its own sake. The process is fundamental and hardwired and babies as little as 45 minutes old can imitate the facial gestures of those around them. It's how we get to know what we know, but also how we become who we are. Back to Antioch. The leaders in Jerusalem Hear of some things going on in Antioch that that might be a bit tricky. And um, they're they're not sure that they fully approve, but they want to find out what's going on. Some men from Cyprus, um, where Barnabas, one of the leaders, is from, had um, kind of gone beyond the margins of acceptable behavior and started to talk to really, really sinful people. People that were assigned to damnation and to eternal torment. And um, they weren't sure that they should do that, but they had heard that they had, and so they probably thought they ought to find out what was going on. So they sent one of their number, Barnabas, a man from Cyprus himself, and he went up to Antioch and discovered that it was the grace of God that was at work. It was amazing. He saw great numbers of people coming to know the Lord Jesus and they were deeply committed to following him in a way that convinced him that this was a work of God and so he stayed on sent messages back saying it's all good it's it's the Lord he continued and he he realized that the young man that he'd seen who had been persecuting the church that had caused the scattering of all of these people The young man that had persecuted the church, that had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, who no one would meet when he came to Jerusalem, that young man that he took to meet Peter, that young man, Saul of Tarsus, had a vision that one day this would happen. And so he went to Tarsus to look for him. In the text, we have no story of that pursuit. The church's memory recorded in the early histories of the church, is that, is that Barnabas had to search right out into the mountains because Saul had been persecuted himself. He'd been driven from, from civilization. He'd been beaten and abused in every synagogue that he tried to preach in. He had now become a broken man physically. Five times he had received the excommunication from the synagogues and had been beaten 39 lashes His body was a tissue of scars. He was bent over and bandy-legged like people who have been systematically beaten often are. He looked up from hooded brows. His back was bent over with scar tissue. And in the cave that he lived for fear of his life, no doubt he wondered what had happened to the vision that Jesus gave him on the road to Damascus. And Barnabas... (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha Good old Barnabas. Barnabas found him and said, "Cheer up. All the things that Jesus said to you are beginning to take place. It looks as though you've suffered much, just as Jesus said you would. The harvest is ripe. Let's go. and that first harvest among the Gentiles. We've seen markers along the road. We've seen the Ethiopian official. We've seen Cornelius the Centurion. We've seen the markers along the road. But now a harvest has ripened and the followers of Jesus get to be called Christians for the first time. So here's my question. What things are you good at imitating? Because I'm going to come back to this because it's really, really important. What are the things that you're good at imitating? Um, children, as we've pointed out earlier, are great at it, and uh, they just kind of do it for fun. My grandson, um, or one of my grandsons, called Noah, the youngest. He lives in Atlanta with his mother and father. They are involved in ministry down there amongst um, Gen the kind of lots and lots of young people. Uh, worship teams uh, like the ones that wrote Good Good Father and uh, Maverick City Music, they're all coming out of that congregation right now. And it's an amazing kind of incredible firestorm of God's blessing. So that's where they are right now and they're just enjoying that, that joyous season. And they're, of course, having children. And um, their first is called Noah. And Noah saw my motorcycle when he was last up here and he thought it was the best thing in the whole universe now I've got a big motorcycle and he's only a little lad so he might maybe thought that this is kind of amazing just because of the scale of it but we've got a little uh, little clip of uh, Noah showing the process of imitation taking place just uh, see if we can run this what are you doing? Awesome! Uh, Who are you like? Yeah, Papa! Where are you going to go? I'm going go to... Uh, go to Papa's house! Wow! Go to Jolly's house! Wow! So that's Jolly. Yeah! all kinds of places what sound does it make I don't know. that's really good I don't. So- <laughs> <laughs> do you want to say anything else to papa and jolly love you love him? Mm-hmm. say i love you bye Okay, so that's uh, so that's Noah, and um, he's big on imitation right now, but he's been big on imitation since what? Does everybody remember? 45 minutes after birth, and he's an expert at imitation already. He's only two years old. He's an expert in imitation, and it kind of defines his world. So Sally saw that and decided that she would increase my status in this young lad's life um, by buying a motorbike, a small one, and sending it on my behalf. And uh, we got a little clip of what happens next. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. (laughs) There I'm going. Close your eyes. I'll put it in your hand. Open them. Open up your eyes. (sighs) Oh... (laughs) What is it? What is (laughs) it? Wow! You want it? We want it. Okay, let's open it. (laughs) Open it. Open it. Open it. (laughs) Open (laughs) it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Open it. Oh my goodness. Can you say thank you? Thank thank you. you. Thank you. Say thank you, Jolly. Thank you, Papa. Thank you. Dad. There it is. Ooh. Oh, very cool. Mursego. Mursego. Wow. So he's very, very happy right now. So what are you good at imitating? So what I want you to do, I want you to just spend a couple of minutes because uh, we're going to come back in a, in a second and have a little bit more of a thought about this. I want you to spend a couple of minutes just talking to the person next to you about imitation, okay? What are you good at imitating? Are you a musician? Maybe you're a jazz musician, and you've learned that all of that innovative music style is entirely based principally on imitating the masters, first of all. Maybe you're an artist of other kinds and you've, you've learned how to paint or draw and you've done that by imitating another person. Maybe you're a sports person. Maybe you're a dancer. Maybe you're a person that's good at gardening. All of those things, baking, cooking, all of those things are defined by imitation. What area of skill, what area of expertise do you find most engaging, most interesting, most, most elevating to your spirit, and then just talk about, if you can remember, talk about the person that you imitated. Now, you can do the Christian thing and say, well, you know, I was reading the Bible, which is my most important thing, and I learned it from that person. You can do that, but we'll do that in a minute, but let's first of all just do this one, yeah? What things are you good at that you like doing that you've imitated from another person? Just get up into pairs, and we'll, uh, we'll chat about it. Go on. And uh, iPad up there. Any good? Maybe not. What do we need to do? Try to shut it down again? Yeah. It last time. Shut it down completely. Yeah, got, it. got it? Got it? We're good. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's uh, let's just do this then. Let's just uh, look around the congregation gathered here. Somebody, give me an example. What are you good at, and what have you imitated? I know you're thinking. Oh no, I can't possibly say. Come on. What are you good at? Yeah, Stephen. I had been getting a little dissatisfied at work and not engaging the customers. I work at Walmart. Yep. Thank you, Stephen, for working at Walmart. I love Walmart, and I love all the people who work there. And, um, it took uh, one of the folks that worships here, Frederick. Yeah. And he was, he was in the store shopping, and he was so And greeting the customers, not even working there, and I was like... Okay, I need to be doing what Frederick's doing. That's it. So I need to be doing what Frederick's doing, says Stephen, and there's Frederick at the back, and he wasn't even working for Walmart. Come on. Come on. Good job. That's it, you see. I mean, I bet your boss is really pleased with Frederick. I think he should get a raise. I'll give him 10. Yeah, okay, yes, that's it. Okay, what else? What else are we good at or that we just learned? Yeah, right there. because I've imitated some of my co-workers who I've seen do really good things. Very good. Okay, so I'm a pastor. Unlike you, I don't consider myself very good at it, but there are certain areas that I've tried to grow in. One of the areas that I tried to grow in as a pastor was being able to listen to other people and to be caring for them in the counseling situations because I didn't feel I was very good at it. And so I got with a person who was good at it and I just copied them. And I said to him one time, I don't feel very sincere because I'm just copying what you're saying, your facial expressions and what you're doing. And he said, sincerity will come next. Just learn the behavior first. I thought that was incredibly insightful. I'm sure that that's true of you as well. It's, it's kind of a, a mechanism of imitation that gives you a space to fill it with emotion, to fill it with sincerity. What else? Let's have another person. Can we see anybody up there on our illustrious group of people up there? It's very hard to see with the... Oh, right there. I got you. Yeah. Go shout it out nice and loud. YouTube. YouTube. Great. Okay. That's excellent. So YouTube is something that you use. You can't work something out you're trying to understand how to do something and YouTube is so much better than the handbook, isn't it? Yeah, I've got one of those, um, I've got one of those trucks that's got, um, that's got hydraulic running boards on it and Sally opened her door and the running board wouldn't go back. And, of course, I just blamed her for it immediately. I said, what have you done? She said, I haven't done anything. I said, well, you know, you must have broken something. So I, so I went to... I didn't do any of that, I'm probably sure. I was much nicer than that. But, but I, I went to YouTube, and they said, oh, this happens all the time. And what you have to do is this, this, and this, and it's good. And they show you exactly how to do it. And all I had to do was imitate it. Yeah? So, what was it that was happening in Antioch? Well... Let me just do a little bit of Bible study with you because it's Sunday and it's good for you. Yeah? So this is, a, this is what it says about Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. It says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now that's, a, that's high praise indeed, there are very few people in scriptures who get such a high recommendation, especially when you think about what it is that Peter says about Jesus to Cornelius in the previous chapter. Listen to Peter talking to Cornelius the centurion. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism of John was preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Barnabas is full of the Holy Spirit and good. Jesus... Is full of the Holy Spirit and good. Barnabas looks like Jesus. You want to look like Jesus? Be full of the Holy Spirit and do good. And a great number of people believed in the Lord. It's amazing how simple things are when you just break them down, isn't it? Full of the Holy Spirit and good. Now there are other concomitants in there. The faith that's produced, of course, by your life being filled by the Holy Spirit. Healing, which of course is a great good because it reveals the future that we're looking for and longing for. And it's a good work that we can look at and say, yeah, that's a great thing. We're gonna do some of that in a minute but full of the Holy Spirit and good. So what do you think the people in Antioch wanted to be? They wanted to be full of the Holy Spirit and good. Just turn to your neighbour and say, full of the Holy Spirit and good. Say that. So, 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 I don't know where my pencil's gone. Did somebody see it fall? Maybe I'll put it in my pocket. I put it in my pocket. Where did I put my pencil? <laughs> Stop. Where's it gone? Is it the? Oh, there it is. It's all right. Okay. So, this is how it works. And I know this because, as I said last week in the, in the little bit of training I did there uh, for the Sunday that we weren't here in the building... This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse nine. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. And he's just been talking about how it is that we become disciples and how we function as disciples. And he's addressed the issues of, of the Christian's mind and how to fill our minds with good things. And then he says, as an example of the things that I'm talking to you about, remember who it is that has discipled you and he says this that hearing helps you in the process of learning it's very important to learn but seeing is vital to the process of receiving what you have learned what does that mean it means this all of the learning will count for nothing if the learning has not been integrated into your life. And how does that happen? It's integrated into your life, not by the process of information sharing, but by the process of imitation in our lives. Like Professor Gilchrist says, we learn what we need to know And we become who we're supposed to be. We become something through imitation. Paul says, you need to hear, you need to learn, you need to see, you need to receive. And then to demonstrate it, you put it into practice. And as you put it into practice, of course, you are... Ingraining the behavior into your life and showing something to the rest of the world. And of course, that means that discipleship can continue, be replicated, and multiplied. The reason, the fundamental reason, that we do not see more disciples is that people genuinely believe that it's about information. It's not. It's about information and imitation. It's about information and imitation, which means you can't become a disciple of Jesus by yourself sitting in your room watching the YouTube channel. You can't do it. You need other people. You need community. You need to join a house church or a household. You need to have the engagement of other people who are putting things into practice in their own life. And as they put it into practice, they're beginning to show and tell what it is that Jesus means to them. They're beginning to integrate the information in such a way that they're now receiving it. And as they receive it, they're able to put it into practice. And as they're able to put it into practice, they're able to become a disciple who makes disciples. How? By knowing enough information, not a lot, just enough about who Jesus was, what it was he came to do, and all of the plans that he has for our life. Just enough information that has been integrated into our lives so that we now are able to demonstrate it so that others can receive it through imitation. Is there anybody alive in the room? Amen. You're hearing me? We can't get this by ourselves. We can't learn this. We can't receive this. We can't integrate this by ourselves. We need an imitative model. We need someone to show us. Okay. That's as good as I can do right there.